I want everyone to get comfortable in their seat. Maybe do a little wiggling, like roll your neck, stretch. You can even put your arms over your shoulders. Just get your blood flowing. And then when you're ready, just gently close your eyes. Before we manipulate our breath in any way, I just want you to bring some awareness Bring some awareness to how your breath is right now without changing anything. Is it quick, fast, short, shallow, deep? Are you anxious? Are you calm? What is the state? Like, how are you feeling in your body? Not trying to change it at all in any way. Just kind of bringing awareness and recognizing and kind of being in the space in an intentional way. I want you to slowly deepen your breath. So take a deep exhale, inhale. Your body can even move with your inhale, you know? And then let it all go with your exhale, kind of collapse. Inhale. We're gonna do that five times, three more times. And once more, when you, we're gonna exhale and then we're gonna inhale and then our exhale, we're gonna do a short breath hold. So inhale and exhale, just let it all out, almost like a sigh. And then hold at the bottom. Don't push yourself too much. If you feel the urge to breathe, that's okay. If you feel comfortable in the breath hole, just kind of lean into it. Okay, now take a deep inhale and let it go. Okay. And now just let your breath kind of fall back into its natural rhythm. Bring awareness back to your body. Do you notice any different, any change in how you were three minutes ago and how you feel now? No right or wrong answer. And when you're ready, just open your eyes, wiggle in your seat a little. Okay. We should be nice and ready to do some learning. So I'm just going to just constantly letting people in as we go. Okay. So last week we, we really spent most of our time in the introduction to Igarasachuva, which is what we're studying. We just barely touched upon chapter one. So I'm going to review a little bit um, from chapter one, where we left off, and then we'll continue on. Okay. So we started off by saying that before we begin this in-depth discussion of chuva, we need to understand, okay, what does chuva mean? What are we doing? How are we doing it? And what are the different levels and all this kind of stuff, right? So chuva is representing your efforts to God to, for to forgive you for sin. Okay. And we remember we separated the word repentance and atonement, right? Atonement is God's response to your chuba, right? To your repentance. When you repent and you um, are asking God for forgiveness for your rebellion, for your wrongdoing, for your mistakes, atonement is the response of God to your chuba, okay? And we talked about there's different levels of chuva depending on the, the transgression, okay? And um, we, I don't remember if we actually spoke about the different categories, but we'll quickly review them here, and we're going to delve into it in a, in a much deeper way, okay? 
So A, if a person violates a positive, if a person um, refrains from a positive commandment, right? Doesn't light Shabbos candles, doesn't give tzedakah, right? Those are just um, an absence of a positive commandment. What's needed for that is tshuva, atonement, and God, um, tshuva, I mean, repentance, and God atones right away, automatically, okay? Obviously, your tshuva has to be authentic. We're not talking about what tshuva looks like right now. We didn't get into how you do tshuva, what does it look like, right? We're really just talking about levels and categories, right? The second level is a transgression of a prohibition, right? You actively are doing something that God says, no, please don't do, right? So eating a cheeseburger, right? That would be an example of a trans of actively uh, doing, uh, um, uh, transgressing a negative commandment, okay? So for that, you do tshuva, you repent. God um, suspends your punishment, right? He puts it on hold, nothing happens. And during Yom Kippur is when your, your sin is atoned for, okay? Which is super fascinating because I never looked at Yom Kippur in that light. It's always like, oh, on Yom Kippur, we do tshuva, we ask for repentance, and we hope and pray that we get atonement. I actually never realized that we could be doing sins throughout the year, doing tshuva throughout the year, and then the a culmination of our tshuva and our atonement happened on Yom Kippur, right? So it's a little bit of a different perspective. I never really realized that. The third group is um, when someone commits a sin that warrants kares, which is excommunication from the community or death penalty. Someone who and there's not many sins that require that, but there's a few cardinal sins that require kares or the death penalty. If somebody does tshuva for those types of sins, it's even if there's a few more steps, right? There's repentance. God puts the punishment on hold. Yom Kippur atones for those. Um, Yom Kippur starts the atonement for those sins, right? And with these types of sins, there's going to be a little bit of suffering in this world um, to complete the atonement. Okay, so those are the three categories and levels that we're going to be delving into dealing with and understanding why are they different, what makes them different, and, and why is it important to know these levels and steps? Yes, um, Carrie, I did not understand the last, uh, the last level. Just, yeah, what, what kind okay. of, no, what so, kind of so sins are you talking about? Okay, so murder, idolatry, oh. murder, idolatry, and probably adultery are the three cardinal sins that require the death penalty, or and there's some other sins that require excommunication from the community. Um, we don't really deal with that nowadays because we don't live in the court of God inherently like up above we do but here in practice we're not going to base in for these things um but i think there's other mitzvahs that require excommunication for a certain amount of time i'm not totally familiar with which ones those are so i'm not going to you know give you examples until i like really confirm what i'm saying but basically those sins where where a, a, a much more severe punishment is required, you're going to need a, a much deeper and more intense repentance to receive atonement. Does that make sense? So instead of, you know, if you're being done and your atonement is done and over with on Yom Kippur, you, there's one more step and that's a little bit of physical suffering, which makes sense considering the sin that, that, that this person has committed. Okay. So from a Hasidic perspective, atonement is an experience of reconnection, right? We talked about that last week quite a bit, right? We are not coming from this attitude of, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner and blah, 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 whatever, all the negativity. What we're really doing is understanding the playbook, the rule book, right? Right, we're created imperfect. We're created with opposing souls that want different, thing for, different things from us. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we don't. 
what happens when we mess up, right? And God gives us this program of like, oh, you messed up. Well, obviously I kind of set you up for that, right? And here's how you come back to me. Here's this reconnection program. So that's how the Hasidic perspective views Teshuvah. It's from a very, very positive and uplifting experience. It's not, oh, you're bad. Oh, you did this, you know, um, you know, flag, 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 right? It's, oh, you messed up. Well, probably we all do. Here's your way to reconnect with Hashem, right? Because what happens, what ultimately is happening when we sin? When we sin, our soul separates from Hashem, right? It kind of gets removed from a direct godliness, the direct line of godliness. And I know in, in the first book of Tanya, it kind of describes the connection between soul and Hashem, like this big rope, right? With like 613 strands, right? And when you um, don't do a positive commandment or, or, or transgress a negative commandment, one of those, the, the, the string that represents that sin is severed, right? So it's all about reconnecting, right? Tying the knot and reconnecting that connection. So when we sin, our soul is a little bit weaker. It separates from God. And the atonement, when God responds with atonement, um, that connection is restored. Okay, so that's this, this is the viewpoint and the window that we're looking at this whole concept of teshuva. Okay, um, so the sin, what, what happens when we sin, right? When we do a negative, when we are, we transgress a negative commandment, these unholy energies get attached to our soul, right? And the atonement that happens is these negative energies are washed away. Because if you want to, okay, it's very nice to say repent, atone, what's actually happening when we're repenting, when we're atoning, and when we're sinning. We need to know what's happening when we're sinning. And 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 um, opposite, uh, understanding what happens when we do a mitzvah, right? We have to understand how we connect, to understand how we disconnect, to understand what's happening when we're reconnecting. So when we connect our souls, you know, our soul is bond with God is very strong. We're going to talk about this, this um, infinite light and this esoteric stuff that are happening when we're, when we're connecting with God, we'll get to that in a few minutes. When we sin, that connection is weakened. When we are, when we transgress a negative commandment, not only is that weakened, but unholy energies come and attach to us. And when we atone, that reconnection happens and those energies are washed away. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, this process we're trying to understand, okay? So while all sins separate you from God, they do not do so equally, right? All sins are separating you from God. If you want to be super like simplistic, all sins are a separation, but not all of them separate equally. And in order to know the extent of our disconnection, the way we know how disconnected we are by a particular sin is from the level of atonement that we need. Isn't that fascinating? Like the only way we really know the level of disconnection is to know well, what level of atonement is needed, A, B, or C? And then we know, well, wow, that sin disconnects us in a deeper way. This is a more easily fixed or superficial way. So we begin discussing these concepts from the Talmud about these levels of atonement, right? And it will lead us to basically understand the spiritual dynamic of the reconnection. So once we understand what's separating us, how badly are we separated, and then we can understand the dynamics and the go-to way to reconnect and how that actually happens. Yes. Someone is trying to communicate something to you and you're not reading the chat. Oh, 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 sorry. Thank you. I keep trying to ask a question. Can you guys hear me? No, I cannot hear you. You have to um, unmute. Are you unmuted? Yeah, I unmuted. Oh, now I hear you. Hold on. But it's very, very low. Oh, 
I think my computer. Okay, now I hear you. I'm so sorry. I did not hear you at all. Okay, what's your question? Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> sorry. I was like, ah, I keep talking to myself. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> no, it's not you. <laughs> it's me all day. Um, does Hashem always give us atonement? Okay, that's a super good question. We just touched upon this a little bit last week. If we do our tshuva correctly and authentically, and we go through the step appropriate steps, then yes, right. So, and there's okay. like we said, yeah, the now I remember like, your answer. Yeah, there's no like God does not like get fresh. You know, like when we when I don't know, like most commonly with our spouse, right? Like how many times are you going to do the same thing? I don't forgive you anymore, right? Stop saying I'm sorry. Like how many times do you do the same thing? Like it's ridiculous, right? So that's a human, you know, kind of interaction. God never gets sick of us from, from, from saying sorry, right? As long as it's an authentic apology and it's not just to like, you know, um, uh, word, what's it called? Um, lip service, right? And, and, and God knows what's in our heart. So you can't really fool him, right? So if you're authentically returning and going through the steps and really doing it right, God can forgive you a gazillion times. It's never going to be too much. Right? Even if, even if you know that you're doing it. Yeah. I asked you that last week. So there's a, there's a caveat to that, right? So when we spoke about this last week, when we sin, most of us know that we're sinning, right? That's why we're, that's why Chuba exists because it's not, we're not, it's, it's much easier for God to forgive us if we're oblivious and we're making mistakes and we don't even know we're sinning. This is not what this is about. When we're sinning, like we know we're sinning. We know what we're doing. The caveat is, is if you sin on condition and only because you know that you can repent afterwards, then your repentance is not authentic. You can't like outsmart the system, basically. You can't sin on knowing that you're going to repent for it later and basically have your cake and eat it too, right? That's not going to work. But if you're in the moment and like a spirit, right? How do we sin? Like a spirit of folly enters you. And for some reason we think this is a really good idea, right? Whatever I want to do, it's like, this is good. This is what I'm, this is what I'm doing. I'm in it to win it. Right. And then after we do it, we're like, oh crap. Oops. Like that. I regret it. I shouldn't have done that. I, you know, I feel really bad. I feel disconnected. Right. That that's what the, the chuva is all about. Okay. So, um, where were we, where were we, where were we? Okay. So I'm not all, so I said, yeah, not all sins disconnect us equally. Right. So a sin is a rebellion. Okay. Like to put it simply, like when we're sinning, we're rebelling against God. Right. And guess what? We are the people, we are the rebels, like Jews are rebels. Like we push the boundaries. Right. So when we sin, it's a rebellion against God, okay? And to repair that, every sin requires repentance. So there's no, there's not, if you, if you would ask, is there any sin that um, doesn't require repentance, right? That just is like, it's so minor. Um, I, bye. <laughs> it's so minor. I, I don't, like, do I really have to repent for this? Like, you know? And the truth is yes, because it, at, at its core, a sin is, is a rebellion. And in order to fix that and to um, pay attention to that relationship and to repair that relationship, it needs repentance. Okay. So does, does yeah. this mean does this mean that if we repent, we do teshuva and we receive atonement from God, does this mean when we die, everything's okay? Well, could, depends, right? Depends on the extent of your tshuva and the extent of the um, worldly challenges you've gone through to atone for your sin. So sometimes our physical challenges are to make our afterlife much smoother and easier, right? And we'll get into that a little bit later. I'm not going to get into it right now because then we'll never get where we're supposed to go. But hold that thought and we're going to address it, okay? So- the different categories of atonement kind of help us fathom to what extent our disconnection was, right? Um, because ultimately a disconnect is a disconnect, 
right? But if we want to know like what kind of disconnect did we have, what we get that, you know, we get that hint by knowing what kind of repentance that we need. And um, I like, my husband gave me a, because I was talking to him about this and I was like, well, what do you mean? Like if a disconnect's a disconnect, like then what does it matter? Like you're disconnected. Like what does it really matter how disconnected you are? And so my husband gave this awesome analogy, which I, which really resonated with me. He's like, it's like a power outage, right? Um, when you have a power outage, the lights are off. The lights are off, the lights are off, right? But when you want to go and repair it, is it a switch issue? Is it an underground wire issue? Do you need to dig? Do you need to like, how, to what extent is it going to take to get the lights back on, right? So there is a difference, right? Yes, the light, bottom line, the lights are off. You're operating in the dark, right? But when you want to go and fix the power outage, where, where are you going and what are you doing? And how long is it going to take and how extensive is it, right? So I really like, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Like, Bottom line, yes, there it's dark, but you don't fix every power outage the same way. Because if you try to fix a, uh, an electrical switch issue with a underground, like um, what's the word, the transformer issue, because we live in a block that our transformer blows about once a year, so we really know about this, <laughs> um, then then you're, you're, the flights aren't going to get fixed and you're still going to be in the dark, right? So you have to know how to repair your disconnect, even though the outside results may look the same, okay? So I thought that that was a really powerful imagery because I was like, whatever, who cares? The lights are off, right? You're disconnected, who cares? Like, how disconnected are you? Big look, you know? But it matters, right? Because if you want to come back, you have to know how to repair that, okay? Um, so the atone, back to really honing in the difference between atonement and repentance, the atonement does not replace the repentance. You're never going to basically get atonement. God is not going to give you atonement without the act of repentance, right? It has to come. Atonement only comes from repentance. Okay. Any questions before we move on? We're good. Okay. So back to the three levels of atonement. When you fail to observe a positive commandment, we said you're forgiven immediately, right? The second you repent, let's say you fail to do something positive, the 248 positive commandments that we have, and we're going to talk a little about that a little bit later. But if you fail to do one of those positive commandments, so example, tzedakah, lighting Shabbos candles, right? If you fail to do one of those things and you you have regret and you repent, atonement is um, achieved sight on scene, right? You don't even have to move from your place. You're, you're atoned if your repentance is authentic, right? We're um, automatically assuming that, right? So when we say, you know, in for the sake of this class, we're assuming that your repentance is authentic. Otherwise, you know, moot point. So, um, so the question is, why? Why is your atonement sight on scene, like on, like without moving from your place, you are atoned for, right? And, um, and for the negative commandments, you, you have to wait till Yom Kippur to get total atonement. So what, what's the discrepancy and why, okay? And so we're going to go into, um, if you're familiar with a Tanya class, right? We're never, we never really answer a question right away, right? We have to under, well, first we have to understand a deeper concept and then we have to, and then we meander around and we get sidetracked by all these deep esoteric things. And then eventually we get to the answer of the question. So we, we need to understand um, the fundamental, what happens fundamentally between the positive commandments and the negative commandments, right? What, what, and what energetically is happening in the world with both of those experiences? And then that will help us understand why our repentance and atonement varies, okay? So when a person fails to fulfill a positive commandment, repentance alone grants him complete atonement, and um, and with the negative commandments, there's there's more to be seen, right? 
it, this is confusing because it seems that, right, you need more effort to atone for, an, for transgressing a negative act. It takes more effort, more, more time. Like what happens, you know, what happens if you sin the day after Yom Kippur? Like you have a long time till your atonement kicks in, right? So, and, and it seems to also fly in the face of another Talmudic principle that we, you might be familiar or we're going to learn for the first time. There's another Talmudic principle that says, um, that positive commandments are superior to negative commandments. Okay, the act of a positive commandment is, is brings much more holiness, is a superior act than refraining from a negative commandment. So if that's so, if positive commandments are, are more valuable in a sense, why is the atonement less intense? It seems contradictory, right? Um, and so, so what is more important, a positive commandment or refraining from a negative commandment? And um, it, it seems from this Gemara that a positive commandment is more valuable and it actually brings proof. Like, and it brings two examples from like a mitzvah. So we, we have a, a, a negative commandment that says, do not mix wool and linen, right? Um, and, Tzitzis are made from wool and, uh, wool and linen. Did you know that? So the positive commandment of tzitzis overrides the negative commandment of do not mix wool and linen, right? So shotness doesn't apply to tzitzis because God commanded us to do so, right? The positive commandment overrides a negative commandment, right? And um, and there's a few examples like this. For another example is sacrifice, um, sacrificing on Shabbos in the temple, right? We don't do that on Shabbos, but in the temple for a sacrifice, um, it doesn't apply, right? Because the positive commandment overrules the negative. So the general rule is, right? Positive commandments trump negative commandments. Um, so why is it that in the category of atonement, does the, pro does prohibitions hold more gravity, right? Where, where it's much harder to repent and receive atonement for a negative commandment. Okay. And so we need to resolve this conflict, right? We need to understand what inherently is happening when we, um, participate in a positive commandment and we need to understand inherently what's happening when we transgress a negative commandment and that will give us a lot of food for thought to understand why why this is and it actually is very very powerful in and of itself because not only are we going to learn how to repent but we're also going to learn how powerful our actions are and when we have that knowledge you know it's very motivating, right? You're very motivated to, well, well if, if this is what's happening when I do a positive commandment, like I want to, I want in, right? And if this is what's happening when I transgress a negative commandment, like maybe I, maybe I avoid it more, right? So it's, this is not only about what happened, what's, what's going to happen when we repent. It's about, well, how do we, you know, kind of front load and get us motivated to, to these commandments to begin with. Okay. So any questions? Does this all make sense so far? Okay, really? Okay, um, there's a fundamental cornerstone of Kabbalistic thought. And that is that it's very, very fundamental and very lofty at the same time. That our worship down here in this physical world causes, listen carefully, improved alignment of energies in the divine world, okay? Simply what we do down here affects divine energies of the higher spiritual worlds, okay? That's, that's actually quite big stuff because our little actions, what we're doing down here in the physical world does not happen in a vacuum, right? Our actions are literally 
physically affecting spiritual outcomes in, in the upper worlds. Okay. And so there's many Kabbalistic um, discourses and teachings that really go into and describing how this alignment works. Um, but for the purpose of this time to class, we're just going to kind of briefly touch upon this, right? There's, go, there's many, 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 you know, Kabbalistic books that, that really, if you want to know like a step-by-step, -step, like deep dive into this process, it's there, like you can learn it. But for this class, we're going to briefly kind of dip our toe in this pretty deep concept. So for, for the purpose of understanding what we're trying to get at here. So it seems kind of weird at first glance that the upper spiritual worlds are lacking anything, right? Like, isn't like, don't you think of like the worlds that are above us and the spiritual worlds, like as spiritual and kind of complete, like, and godly, like, what are they lacking? It's kind of weird to think physical. of it. Physical. They don't have physical. So actually what we're, what we're actually touching upon here is that even though these spiritual worlds are very untangible for us and very um, spiritual, they do have physical form compared to God. Right. But we're okay. But hold, hold that thought. And, and we're going to get there. So, but, but they're not, they're still a, um, uh, a, a symptom. They're still like a, a con, con, constricted form of God. So they're obviously not perfect, right? But once it's a spiritual world and it's out, you know, it's, it's a product of God, it still is lacking. And there's also many different worlds. So, you know, the higher you go, the less refinement it needs, but it's, it's still lacking. Okay. So it's interesting because in reality, the upper worlds are still a cluster of energy, right? And like any kind of energetic system, it's only as strong as, it, as its weakest link. Okay. So first of all, like I'm super fascinated by the concept of energy, right? Because like everything, we're all made of energy. We're all balls of energy. And I think, um, in our modern world, we're slowly like kind of awakening to this fact that everything is energy. And maybe we tap into energies for healing, for spirituality, like how powerful that is. Um, side point, because like just talking about energy is, is exciting to me because it's so powerful. So the, the upper spiritual worlds are, it's an energy system. It's an energetic system, right? And an energetic system is going to, that's connected. And we know that our worlds are connected, right? Um, and if you want to learn more about that, listen to the recordings of the previous Tanya classes, right? Like all the world, worlds are an interlocking chain. They do not exist onto itself. They're all connected. So an energetic system that's connected can only be as strong as its weakest link. What is the weakest link of, these, of this energetic system? Our world right? Our world down here is the weakest link. It's the, it's the lowest spiritually of all the worlds. So obviously, if you think about it as an energetic interconnected system, what we do down here, of course, is going to affect the worlds above us. How could it not, right? It just depends on how you look at it. On the one hand, you could look at it as like, oh my God, these are spiritual worlds. What are they lacking? On the other hand, if you look at it as this energetic system and we're all connected and the weakest system is down here in this world, of course, when we do something down here, it's going to have ramifications to whatever's attached to it, right? So um, the energies, uh, so it kind of answering to what you said, Harry, is that the energies of the upper worlds do have distinct form. In our eyes, we probably wouldn't recognize it as physical form because we're super finite, but according to God, these worlds still have a distinct form, right? And what's super fascinating that I never knew is that sometimes these spiritual worlds can clash with each other. 
How crazy is that? <laughs> these bits can clash with each other. And then these clashes are healed by the flow of infinite light that happens when we restore harmony in our world. Okay, so when we are acting godly and spiritually, we rectify some of the things that are going on in the spiritual worlds, right? So it's all, it's not all hunky-dory up there, right? We have a lot of spiritual worlds and a lot of energies. And sometimes those energies are clashing with each other and are not fluid and flowing and, you know, working smoothly. What we're saying is that when we participate in godly acts, right, where we're providing harmonious, the infinite light to, to reflect upwards, which, which provides harmonious energy and healing energy to these upper worlds that might be a little out of sorts. Okay. Um, and this flow only occurs when we do positive commandments. This infinite light that affects the upper worlds right? The infinite light that's coming from God to the upper world only happens when we do positive commandments down here. So we are the cause of what happens up there. Yeah, basically. Basically, right? Good or bad. Yeah, like we, we, we directly affect the energetic flow of the upper worlds. We're going to, we're going to, we're not done. We're going to talk more about this. Okay. Um, I know that these concepts are, are a little lofty, but we're, we're going to make them practical, right? Just bear with me. And if there's questions, you let me know. And if at the end you're like, what the heck, then maybe ignore it all, you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. There's a question in the chat box. Are we fulfilling a negative commandment at every moment that we're not doing it or only if the possibility of transgression presents itself? Okay, so no, only if you have, let's say you have, a, you have this opportunity in front of you to, um, I'm trying to think the best way to explain this. Like, if you have an opportunity, like let's say you have an opportunity to eat a cheeseburger, okay? If you eat the cheeseburger, then you are um, transgressing a negative commandment, right? You're doing something that says, that God says, don't do, right? If you refrain from eating it, yay, right? Like extra points. Positive commandment, when we don't do a positive commandment, it would be like, oh, you have the opportunity to light Shabbos candles, but you don't, right? It's a passive, it's much more passive. Not doing a positive commandment is much more passive than doing a negative commandment, right? But on the flip side, doing a positive commandment is much more active than not doing a negative commandment, right? So when we actively serve God, we are lighting Shabbos candles, uh, guys putting on to fill in. We're keeping Shabbos. We're like, these are all pod, we're doing, we're actively using our physical body to be godly. It's an active um, action, right? That is what brings down the light into all the worlds. Okay. So, so not doing, but if you're not fulfilling a Where's negative voice coming from, hold on. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> from I'm like, where? <laughs> so if yeah, you're yeah, not, if you're not fulfilling a negative commandment, that's also bringing down the, that. Yes. Okay. So you are a few steps ahead. Yes. But it's in a much more passive way. You okay. understand why? Because you're not really physically, you're just not doing something. You're not doing something. Right. Okay. And so it's, it's only much in the moment, and it's only in the moment where you don't, where you have the opportunity to right. transgress it. Right. And we're we're going to address that in a second. So hold hold that thought, and if it if it's still unclear, let me know. Okay. So we're exactly we're going here right now. So with prohibition, there's no substantive activity involved when you refrain from doing something. Right. There's, you're not. There's no, it's, it's passive. 
You're not, you're not actively doing something. Um, and a prohibit, so there's no de, there's no actual physical action that's stimulating the upper worlds. Because being passive is is a great thing, and we're gonna we're gonna get to it. It's 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 gonna be, we're gonna go through a couple rounds of questions through this. But it's a much more passive attitude. And to really draw down that light, you need to have an active an active source, okay? Only with positive commandments, right? Human activity is the cause and effect um, that, that affects, is the cause and effect of the physical world to the spiritual world, okay? And, and, the, and, it, and it, what, it, and it, excuse me, and it, what, it's what creates the spiritual world to be fully engaged, our positive actions down here is the catalyst for the spiritual worlds to like light up. Okay. Um, now the Tanya literally says, this may seem abstract, right? And it may seem um, irrelevant to us here on earth because who cares what's going on up there, right? Like if I'm not affected down here, like what do I even care, right? Um, but the truth is that it has a real tremendous impact, okay? Because everything that happens in our universe is a result uh, and of the flow of divine energy. So it's almost like this, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, or, and also at the same time, this this beautiful cycle and flow that gives and takes to each other. So when we do something down here, it affects the energy flow above, which then in turn affects the divine energy and flow down here. Are you with me? I, I have, see some confused faces. <laughs> I have a very, um, I don't know if this actually connects at all, but as you're describing it, it's like helping me stay here and with you, um, yeah. that if you live your life completely passive, like there's only so much that you can get done by being completely passive. Like if you think of someone just like not doing anything, like you're not going to live a life that you want to live a beautiful, meaningful, like you have to actually actively do things exactly. and it's through those that you like build and you create and you, like, I don't know. That's just helping me think like passive versus active and why exactly. active like nothing, passive. nothing really significant happens just by not doing something. Yeah. Right. And so if you want to really affect change in your life, you have to like get up and move and do something. Right. Like it's great. I to like know, not Kaya. <laughs> uh, Like it's great to like not scream at somebody but if you like say something kind and make a repair instead, that like actually builds the relationship as opposed to not right. damage. Right, exactly. That's exactly what we're saying. So we're saying, listen, it might seem irrelevant to you that your actions are really causing some big stuff up there, but really it's very significant because that is affecting huge changes in the spiritual realms, which then in turn affects the divine energetic flow that we get down here. Okay, so um, when we, let me just one second. Exactly. So when we rectify that flow, right, at its source. So, for example, when we repent, right, or when we are doing a positive act, things improve for us our surroundings, and ultimately all humanity. Because what we're saying is that nothing, I say this to my kids all the time. I'm like, nothing happens in a vacuum. You could be in a bad mood, right? And you could have negative energy and you think, what's the big deal if I'm in a bad mood and I have negative energy, like I'm not bothering anybody, right? But is that true? No. Because you don't live in a vacuum. You don't live by yourself in a hut in Brazil, right? That's my husband and I's joke. He's like, I just want to go to a hut in Brazil, right? You, but that's not where you are. You're in a family and your actions and your energy and your mood affects everyone around you, right? So cosmic scale, think cosmic scale. When you do a mitzvah, you are not living in a vacuum. We are all energetically connected, 
right? So we are energetically affecting the world above us, right? The world around us, our surroundings and humanity at large. And at the end of um, of when we did our Tani class last year, we, we spoke about how, um, how much impact our mitzvahs have, right? They're not just for you, right? That's why we, you know, like, why is it a concept? Like, I don't know, we use it all the time when we travel, you know, it's like, wow, we're in the forest in the middle of nowhere. We're like, did anyone ever make a bracha here, right? Like, if it, if it was only about you, it doesn't, it wouldn't matter where you are when you make a bracha because it's only about you and you are you, but it's not. It's about what surroundings are you in? Where are you? What are you affecting? What energetic plane is getting affected by what you're doing? And that is much more, uh, those, those things happen much more significantly with a embodied act, right? Not with, um, not with something that's passive. Um, so that's the reason. Um, so basically nothing's, frankly, if we're being really serious, nothing's really more important than this concept. This concept that seems very esoteric and a little bit untouchable, when we get down to it, we actually really understand that nothing's really more important because bringing the infinite light of God into the upper worlds is really a way of saying that everything is affected by your actions, okay? And that's the reason why the Talmud says positive commandments are more significant and hold precedence over prohibitions, right? You're with me? Are we, are we together? Oh my gosh, it's almost time. Okay, shoot. Yes, Barbara. Um, that leads to the question I put in the okay, chat, I see what happens uh, to the upper worlds when Mashiach gets here? Okay. Do they all change? Listen, listen, listen. I have no idea what's going to happen when Mashiach comes. Like every time I try to understand, I just freak myself out. So I'm assuming that the upper worlds are going to reach its ultimate holiness as our physical world will, right? And so it's not going to need any more rectifications because our physical world is also, I mean, it's going to be a process. It's not going to happen all right away, but ultimately we're going to be living in this perfect utopia, which we won't need correction. So which automatically means that the upper worlds will be kind of fulfilled onto its own as well. But that's really an assumption because I, I don't really know for sure, like how this is going to work. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's different, so many different ways that this plays out. And we do know that eventually it's utopia, right? And that will, that will be on all levels. Okay. Well, I was so like, can't believe we have five minutes and I want to do a meditation. So we're going to, I'm going to, um, give me one second. I'm going to. I want to leave off at a normal place. So I'm going to, basically, I think we're going to leave off with a, with a question, um, which will be super motivating to come next week to, to get the answer, right? Um, so I'm going to get to your question before meditation. Don't worry. Every commandment that a person performs creates a new reality, okay? Revealing new illuminations and different aspects of God's infinite light. Okay. So everything that we do creates a unique light that didn't exist before in the upper world and in this world. Okay. We, um, we don't see the light down here necessarily. It's happening, but because we live in a more of an opaque spiritual universe, it's, excuse me, it's much harder for us to see. And that's why we emphasize the light that's happening in the upper worlds, because that the upper worlds are much more sensitive to spirituality. And, it, and it's more significant to see the difference than when we are talking about infinite light down here. Okay. Um, so we emphasize the upper worlds, but it's happening in the lower world just as much. But we're not always attuned to that, right? We're not always seeing that because we have blinders on sometimes. But you will find that there's some people who are super energetically in right? And they will feel this kind of stuff. 
right? They feel energies and they feel holiness and they feel godliness. That's because of sensitivity of the esoteric, right? And not all of us are like that. And so it's much harder to receive and appreciate the fact that, oh, every time we do a mitzvah, divine light's happening down here because we're like, okay, where? I don't see it, right? Um, but don't forget that it is happening, right? And um, we just aren't necessarily as sensitive to it, okay? Um, so I'm gonna let I'm gonna I'm gonna end up with a with a question and then we're gonna continue next week. There are so many good things that we didn't get to, but it's okay because next week's happening. So of course, in, nothing's simple in Tanya, right? We always we we go through this whole explanation and we understand and now okay now we really understand why positive commandments are so powerful. And then we're gonna come and say, of course, we have a slight issue with this explanation. And the issue is is that um. Our assumption that prohibitions don't provide any human activity to stimulate the upper world is a bit of an oversimplification, okay? Because when you choose not to violate a negative commitment, that is an action. It's a passive action, but it's still an action. So little things are still happening in the upper world when you refrain from a negative from something negative, right? Just because it's we're not doing something, that's still considered an action. The action of not doing something is still an action, right? You still have to, it's still effort, right? And, and which means that there's still spiritual ramifications in the upper worlds. So we really have to understand the difference between Basically, what we're going to talk about is we're going to understand the difference between an embodied action and a pass and a passive action, and that's going to really help us understand why positive commandments require less atonement than the transgression of the negative commandments. Okay, so this is where we're going to leave off. We're leaving off with not a huge question because I'm sure you can already foresee the answer, right? Um, but a little bit of like, okay, we didn't perfectly answer this question because even though it's a, maybe a more passive action, it's still an action that's still affecting the world above us. So what's the difference, right? What's the difference between the positive action and the negative action, even though like they're both actions, right? One more than the other, but it doesn't still affecting change, right? Okay. Perry, what's the question before we meditate? How do you repent? Ah, that's like... What do you want me to tell you now? We're not there yet. <laughs> okay. Honestly, I don't know because I'm learning with you. I can't even answer that question. Because you've been talking about repenting. Okay, no, so, we have, so repent. listen, remember, we have to repent. How do we remember repent? Remember we said, we said that we first have to understand what we, what happens when we connect to understand what happens when we disconnect to understand what we need to do to reconnect. Right? That's what repent is, is what yeah. we need to do. What we need to do. So we're not there yet because we're first. Oh, we're not there yet. Okay. We're not there yet. We're first really understanding. Right now we're understanding what happens when we connect. How we're long do you keep me in suspense for? A long time. I don't know. Oh, it's really? it's going to be a journey. And it, it's not like a black and white answer, right? It's going to be this continuous, like, oh, it's like an onion, like peeling the layers, you know? Okay. okay. Here, you, that's how she keeps you coming back. I know it's suspenseful. <laughs> I'm always going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love you. Thank you. Okay. Always going to be Mark, here. Where, um, where we left off so I don't mess up. Okay. Okay. Any questions before, any other questions before we meditate? I'm, I'm going to keep you a couple minutes. I'm so sorry. Whoa, I got ahead of myself. Okay. If you need to go, no worries. But let's just take a minute. Deep breath, close your eyes. And I want you to just, again, we're gonna, I don't know, I don't know if we realize and recognize how important awareness is. Never mind breath work, never mind meditation, all those things are really important, but it's the, the awareness of where we are right now is so important before we affect 
the change to our breath or the change to our state of mind. We have to know where we are. So we just had 45 minutes of intellectual stimulation, right? Where are you, right? How are you now compared to the beginning of the class? Are you understanding? Are you stimulated? Are you confused? Are you overwhelmed? Are you excited, right? Like, where are you? Um, and how do you feel? And, and how does your breath reflect what your body is feeling? Just, so just take a minute to just be present in your body and your mind. Okay, so slowly start to deepen your breath like we did in the beginning. I like to kind of do the same thing in the beginning at the end, kind of brings us full circle, right? So we're gonna do five active inhale, ex inhales and exhales. So inhale, feel the tension in your body and like the little bit of tightness that you have and activation you have when you're inhaling and then exhale, let it go like a sigh, like a sigh, like, Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, last inhale. and exhale, let it all out, every last bit of your breath, and then hold at the bottom. Don't stress it too much. If you need to breathe, it's okay. Just notice what happens when you're in a breath hold, when you're not actively doing anything. Deep inhale. And then let it all out. Okay, as your breath returns to a normal rhythm, um, one thought I want you to just kind of think about is with positive commandments, the cause and effect relationship between the physical world and its spiritual mirror is fully engaged. So that give and take that mirror, okay? Our world mirrors the spiritual world. Okay, whatever's happening down here is happening up there. So if we're engaging in a positive commandment, that's le legitimately affecting the spiritual light that exists in the spiritual world and vice versa, which in turn affects us down here and it, becomes this beautiful cycle. Um, just think about that, right? Like, does that mean anything to you? Has that changed your perspective in any way? Again, no right or wrong answer, just some questions to ask yourself. You can slowly like wiggle your body. Again, you can stretch your arms, move your shoulders, your neck, kind of come back to center and gently open your eyes when you are ready. No rush, take your time. Okay, my lovely friends, any questions, comments, ideas, yes. thoughts? Yes. Can you send us the link for the recordings? So um, let me, yes, I can. Basically, it is basically YouTube. So um, in case I don't remember to do it right away, go to my website, clearisma.blog, okay? On the homepage, it says Tanya Classes. When you click on that page, it'll take you right to the YouTube link. 
Okay, and you can watch the recording. And also, if you have an app, you know, uh, Apple Podcasts, it's on there as well, just audio. So the YouTube will be video, and the Apple Podcasts will be audio. And we're working on getting it on Spotify. Thank you so right. much. Thank okay. You. Anything else? We're good. You guys, troopers who gave me five extra minutes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you guys so much. It's always a pleasure. And we will see you next week. Please go. And remember the question. Okay. We left off with the question. <laughs>